everybody. Welcome to episode 25. Is that right? 25? Or something. Yeah, something like that. 25 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee. My co-host, Stephen Lewis, is here. Hi. And it's a bit more crowded in the room. It is. We have two guests with us. First off, Sofia and is it Gomez Villafaña? Is that how you would say it? That is how I would say it in Spanish. In yeah. English, I normally say uh, Villafane. Villafane. Awesome. Perfect. We'll just stick to the English one then. <laughs> and Keegan Swenson. Yeah. What's hey up, guys. man? Oh, not too much. Nice. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, XC, Pro XC racers, uh, each of these athletes here with us, and good friends. Uh, we mentioned you guys a few times on the, or quite a few times on the podcast because your results have been quite good, and we go over results usually. So, <laughs> and I <laughs> think you. Jonathan just likes saying Sophia's last name. It's it is fun. It is a yeah. fun name to say, right? Yeah, it, it is. It's very. Uh, it's a long one. It's a tongue twister. Yeah. And um, once announcers get it right, they definitely stick with it, and I think they also enjoy saying it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's unique. You're from Argentina, correct? Yes. I was born and raised in Esquel, which is in the Patagonia, a few hours south of Bariloche. And I moved to the United States when I was 12. Um, and then I went to college in Durango, Colorado, and now I'm in Park City, Utah. Sweet. Awesome. Very cool stuff. And then Keegan, uh, where are you from? So people can um, I was born and raised in Park City, Utah, and pretty much spent well, most of my life there. Yeah, and now you live technically, I guess, what, in Daniel, Utah? In is that right? Heber, Heber, which is like 15 minutes away. So Oh, it's, it's town. gorgeous there. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, that's where they had a Pro XCT race recently. Um, for those that don't know, Pro XCT is kind of like GRT if you're a downhill guy. That's like It's like the national downhills or national cross-country series mm-hmm. in the U.S., and they had a race up there, and I think... I'm pretty envious of you for living there. It was just gorgeous. Like oh, it's mountains amazing. Are, I love it. Oh, yeah. It was really cool. So uh, we get we have you guys in because in, in with us on the podcast because you're in town for the Carson City Off-Road. And you have already done one race. The way Epic rides their, their events work is they have a fat tire crit for the pros on Friday. And then you get Saturday off. And then Sunday you do the backcountry race, which is the big 50-miler. Um, so... First of all, I kind of raced with you guys. <laughs> uh, I was I was invited in to, to race as media and get some footage of it when I was racing in there, but I was told to not influence things and to kind of sit back and not get on the front, which made it really hard to hold on to you guys because y'all are really fast. Uh, but... Uh, so basically, can you tell me what you do for your bike? Because these are all on road, these crits mm-hmm. that you do on Fridays with these races. What do you do to your mountain bikes to change them around? Um, I mean, you can't change too much, right? Because you have to race the same bike and which is more or less the same setup. You can't put on a rigid fork or anything. So man, normally just lock out the suspension and you race like a, like a 1.5 to two inch slick. Okay. So this race, I use the Maxxis Max Lite. And okay. I've used the Maxxis Refuse 40C and other crits. So you just want a fast rolling, either like a semi-slick or a pure slick, whatever you can get your hands on, really. Right. But yeah. not a 25C. Not like a 25C. You tried to use, right, yeah, Jonathan? I, 28. Yeah. It measured as a yeah. 33. We should yeah, they have a little, it's like cyclocross. <laughs> they have a little block that yeah. block over your tires and make sure you're not too narrow. And thanks to you, you told me. So then uh, I didn't get anybody upset because I certainly wasn't going to be challenging for the win. I didn't have any advantage there, but still, uh, thank you for yeah. letting me know. Oh, yeah. I look out for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you. What did you ride, Sophia, and how did you change that around? Um, I finally was able to get some slick tires for my um, Mach 4. It was the first crit that I've able that I have um, had had slicks on it. 
Um, and it was my first podium, so I was really excited. Uh, okay. Every other one I've always been, you know, just with my Kenda Sabres 2.2s. And uh, yeah. it makes a huge difference to have a slicks out there. Um, the corners are less scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the amount of effort, it's kind of amazing. It's like I will never again do a crit with Nobby tires. Cause right. it was, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Every turn I would be pedaling out of it um, a lot harder with regular tires. That's scary because your knobs can roll in the corners too, oh, yeah. which you don't want. It gets so, a little loose. Yeah, they yeah. like to fold and slide a little. So. I, I was running just whatever I was going to run the next day, uh, which were Ardent Race. Uh, those are my Maxxis Ardent Race tires and 2.2s. And I definitely had some, I would call it controlled, but some definite drifting, controlled drifting going on in and out of those turns. But it's, it's just pretty fun. Uh, you both landed on the podium, third for both of you? Uh, I ended up third, and Sophia was fourth. Fourth, sweet! Mm-hmm. That is awesome. Yeah. Very cool stuff. If any of you are at a, or have a chance to go to an Epic Rides event, that is the funnest race to watch for sure. So, ton of action! It's a blast. Yeah, and then always right before it, there's a clunker crit. Then it's yeah. just like people just go out for fun, two laps, and you don't win anything if you come in first. It's normally like who can go the slowest. People dress up, and yeah. it's definitely a party down there. Yeah, last year somebody had a very realistic Princess Leia outfit. There wasn't much to the outfit, but it was very strange, very strange. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and also this year there was a tricycle with two people on it. And Kurt they, Gensheimer. Yes. And yeah. Kenny from Stance. And Kenny, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they had their, I think they had the disco ball helmets. Yeah, yeah. and they had, uh, what did they have? They had the, the T-shirt shotgun machine <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, they had one of those. <laughs> that was awesome. And then there was a guy on a 72-inch penny farthing. Nice. With a dog and a satchel. Really? On his back. Yep. yep. I they definitely have a picture on that if you go check out at Epic Rides. I think they have both the yep. tricycle and yes. then the guy with the doggy for sure. Yep. These are the things you're missing when you don't go to an Epic Rides race. So, and, and yeah, and also good racing, good courses too. Uh, let's cover really quick, I guess, let's cover the course. I, I mean, a lot of people aren't going to race this that are listening to this. And also the races just happened, but maybe you would never be able to get to Carson city for this or any other, uh, Epic rides venue. But what are their 50 mile routes like usually? Cause this one's a bit unique, but what are they like usually? Well, normally they, it's like one big loop, like, uh, uh, whiskey 50 is a, you know, one big 50 mile loop more or less with a small out and back down skull Valley. Yeah. Um, and then Grand Junction's more or less the same, just a big loop in the desert. Um, and this one, because of all the snowpack this year, they have to do abbreviated course, so it's a three-lap race. So should change it a little bit, but it's also it's kind of cool because it's different. Yeah. So yeah, I think th- the coolest thing it's you know as a spectator today, you know, seeing how you were doing and whatnot, I was able to go online and look at results, and you know, it's like you can see how people are doing and cheer them on a little bit you know, through every time they come through the start finish. So it's right. It's crazy that this was their plan C for what event they would, you know, what route they would do. Um, but yeah, I think it's kind of amazing. So it should be fun. Are the riders excited? The pros? I think so. I think, yeah. I mean, it's still a fun course, but there's right. some really fun single track and still awesome views. And like in some aspects, it's kind of easier if you're coming in late and you don't have a whole time to pre-ride. It's hard to do a big 50 mile loop. So it's nice right. to be able to just do, you know, smaller lap and make sure it makes it easier for some guys. So totally the trails uh, way more fun this year and like fun factor of the trail. Mm-hmm. Like last year, the views are amazing on last year's course. Cause you're above Lake Tahoe. It's, it's gorgeous. You're actually above a lake, which is above Lake Tahoe. But this year with so much snow, definitely not going to be there. But last year didn't have much single track at all. Uh, this year it's the majority of the whole course is single track. 
which is pretty cool. So yeah. oh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, you still have passing opportunities and everything else. So I think it'll be pretty good. <clears throat> who are your Who are your picks for the win? Yourselves? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully myself. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of fast guys out there, so it'll be it's not going to be an easy race. Yeah. Yeah, I think for the ladies, I'd be stoked with the podium. I got my first one at Grand Junction, finishing third, and I think being on a podium at a mar- marathon race would be pretty amazing. But I think in the women's side is. Katarina Nash, she's just a super rad lady, so many years of experience, power horse, and um, she's for sure the woman to follow, as well as Rose Grant, who's the current marathon national champion. Yeah, and coming back from injury, like a lot of injury mm-hmm. this year, so kudos to Rose Grant, it's pretty awesome. Uh, so that's that's why y'all are in town, but I, this is going to be somewhat of an unconventional episode, because we're going to get into tires later on, and the reason actually is Keegan's super into tires, so... It's like a big thing of his. So we're going to cover that. And Steven also, of course, is, as you all know, knows many things on the bikes. So I just did a 50-mile race, and I, my brain doesn't really work right now. So I'm just going to kick back and really let you guys probably take the tire talk stuff. But okay. Before <laughs> we get to that, I wanted to get into your guys' lifestyle a bit. Because so I think there's some misconceptions about every pro mountain biker out there. Uh, you guys were kind enough to invite me over, uh, to your place for, for dinner when we were, when I was there in Utah for that pro XCT race. And, uh, it was, it's just cool to see how a pro athlete lives. Right. And I don't think a lot of people have perhaps that, that perspective or the right perspective on it, but, um, you two both probably carry slightly different lifestyles, uh, even though you live in the same house and, and you have, you know, in air quotes, the same job because you're both mountain bikers. But Sophia, what's a typical week like for you? Is it just the, the train and then hang out with your feet up thing? <laughs> uh, no, definitely not. I wish maybe someday, but even then, if, if I do get to that, you know, part of my life where I do have a contract. I am a workaholic. Um, I can't, I don't think I could just ride my bike for a living. Um, so right now I'm working part-time for a bean to bar chocolate company named, um, or called ritual chocolate. It's awesome. Um, it's so yeah, good. very, very good. Check it out. It's always at whole foods, small coffee shops. Um, but what I do there, I'm kind of their operations manager and I help with anything that needs help. And so like normally on a Monday is the day that I catch up on work since it's my off day and I get to go into the office. I make up my own hours. Um, so Mondays are usually spending in the office. Tuesdays, you know, I ride and uh, normally work from home. Same thing Wednesday and Thursday. And normally in the weekend, we're kind of out of town traveling. So I'm usually just on my computer working a few hours a week. Um, I am very thankful that they allow me to... Um, pick my own hours and do whatever I want to really, uh, just so I can really put a focus on cycling, which, you know, I think it was at the end of 2015 that I realized I want to, you know, not give up on my dream of being a professional bike racer. Um, and it's kind of nice to be able to put bikes first, but then at the same time have an income, um, to pay off my student loans and daily living expenses. Right. And y'all have a, y'all have a fur kid too. Yeah. Wally. Yep. <laughs> what type of dog is Wally? Uh, he's a lab healer mix. Okay. Yeah. And, and he's a handful. So he's a ton of fun too. You should, you yeah. should, you should follow y'all or follow Keegan and Sophia on Instagram and you get to see lots of Wally. It's like, a lot of fun. Basically the fee is just bikes and Wally and <laughs> bike racing. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much it. <laughs> he's um, cooler than us for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's a ton of, that's a lot of work too though. I guess that my point with bringing that up is the fact that 
Like, I think a lot of people like see somebody like Aaron Gwynn and they just see the, you know, Aaron Gwynn's huge house on the golf course and they see him riding his KTM dirt bikes all the time and then going out and winning world cups and driving a Porsche. And they're just like, that is the life. But, uh, Keegan, you don't have a Porsche, right? No, no, no. Yeah. It's it. That's not the way it is for everybody. No, and also I, Aaron Gwynn, I guarantee you puts in so much work outside of things that are just related to bikes too. Like, yeah, that, that's, that's what I think too. Important. It's. You know, like on social media, it's, I mean, you only see like what, what people want, what you want people to see. Right. Yeah, so it's yeah, like yeah. your life is always perfect. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that goes on. I mean, if you're, you know, just a standard day of training, you wake up and you have to like get on your bike and go train, you come back, you stretch and then you do go to the gym in the afternoon or vice versa, whatever you're doing. And it's like, I mean, it's a full-time job. Like, yeah, it's not like you, you go ride your bike for an hour then put your feet up and watch TV all day, you know? Right. So there's always, and then not to mention there's the whole traveling part of it. So you're always packing and unpacking and organizing rides to the airport and there's all that little stuff that kind of adds up that pe- people don't really realize and like only traveling is cool and all but when you do it every weekend and like i don't know almost every month of the year it's it's a lot of work so yeah and, I think, go ahead. and then you still have to take care of your house you still have then, to, you have to still yeah. do all the things that all the house do yeah 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 you just bought a house so you've been going through and like doing a ton of work on that yeah, lots yeah. of projects. Yeah, <laughs> breaking things. Yeah, yeah. And Keegan yeah. loves projects, right, Sophia? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. He <laughs> will, yeah, every day there's a different project, and you know he will finish a project but not actually finish it, where he like cleans things up. Um, so sometimes, sometimes I get a little upset, but yeah, Keegan loves projects. <laughs> Just me and Wally, you, you yeah. find something to do. Yeah, you're um, you got a suite, uh, the basement that you're building up that's part apartment, but also which if it's available for rent, you should reach out and let us know. Um, but, uh, also it's, you're building up a pretty sweet gym down there. Yeah. I've been working on putting a little gym together down there, which will be pretty awesome once it's fully finished. I mean, it's like not to have to drive anywhere and be able to have everything you need and not to wait in line to use it or whatever. So it'll be really cool when it's done. So yeah, you'll have a trainer down there, uh, a kicker, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kicker and set up on that side, then you got weights and heck yeah. 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 Yeah, and being in Trainer Road HQ, you're actually wearing a Trainer Road hat too. Yeah, quite yeah, appropriate. It's cool to be here. He has yeah. an awesome office. I will <laughs> say, I'll vouch for him. It is one of his favorite hats. He's not just wearing it because we're here. <laughs> it's a good hat. I know you guys do a good job with him. I'm yeah. pretty impressed. We we make sure like so our stance like everybody and sorry this is a tangent but like everybody always asks us when can we get Trainer Road kits or when can we get Trainer Road shirts or Trainer Road hats and and uh, we. <laughs> If we ever put that stuff out, it will be very high quality, good stuff. It probably won't be like really cheap. Who knows? But basically the way we look at it is if we make something, it better be the best. Oh yeah. And that's like in everything that we do. And that goes down to hats. So yes, your hat is very nice, Keegan. Um, but anyways, so that kind of covers, I guess, more of the lifestyle uh, stuff. How much time do you spend on the bike though? A week typically? That varies a lot, I would say. Um, like during base season, which would be like January, February, those kind of months, um, upwards of, I don't know, it's like 22, 23 hours, which is oh. a bit, it's not a, not as much as like the pro roadies, but it's still quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but you're way cooler than a roadie. Yeah. So. I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that goes without saying. Yes, yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah. And also I think too, like, you know, we do more intensity and there's also more gym work and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot mm-hmm. going on. Um, and then as you move more into race season, it kind of transitions a little bit to more intensity. And then, you know, like this time of year when you're racing every weekend, it's more like you race and you recover and you kind of do a few openers in the week and then you race again and yeah. kind of the way it goes. And then when you have a few weeks off, you try and get a bit of volume in to kind of, cause that's all you got. So, right. Uh, 
you also spend a good amount of time, and I think both of you spend a good amount of time in the gym. That's actually mm -hmm. a pretty controversial thing for cyclists. I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a topic that's has been controversial and kind of overlooked. Yeah. Um, this is like the first year for me where I've done, like, where I've done it consistently. I've always kind of done it in the off season. This year I wanted to, you know, try something new. And yeah. um, so I ended up, you know, doing it full, all the year. So uh, mainly just like once or twice a week. And once. what do you what do you usually do in the gym? Um, it's a lot of like uh, a lot of heavyweight stuff, but okay. like low reps. So you know you'll do like deadlifts or squats or whatever you're doing, and you just more like you do like three by threes or whatever you're doing. It's just I'm not doing a ton of ton of repetitions because right. I mean as a cyclist you do that's what you do. It's lots of <laughs> lots of repetitions, know, lots of repetitions, and yeah. you're just the same thing. So you want to be able to build power. You're not in the gym to build your cardiovascular endurance. So right. yeah. And for me, being a small, skinny climber, that's I, it's for me. It's a lot of help. So, yeah. yeah how much? Will, how much do you weigh? Uh, anywhere from 135 to 142. So, yeah. yeah you're I like how you've dude. got a seven pound weight range. Mine's <laughs> yeah. like I don't know, 200, 215. Something. <laughs> I don't know. Well, my goal is always just to have him be a little bit heavier than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not easy with yeah. me. And, and then, what do you do in the gym, Sophia? Or how do you incorporate that into your training? Yeah, and I kind of do the same thing as Keegan. We work, both work with the same trainer. His name is R. O'Connor out of Salt Lake City from uh, Wukar Fit. He works with a lot of cyclists like Jamie Driscoll. Um, Alex, Grant. Alex Grant. Alex Grant, yeah. Grant. yeah. Um, Students are strong. Yeah, both yeah. of them. So R. really knows what he's doing. You know, we are kind of always on the same program. Um, I'm a little more cautious, and I normally do a little bit less just because I've only really been training for a year and a half. Um, yeah. So I still have a lot of development to do on the bike, and the bike fatigues me a little bit more than it would to Keegan. So um, I have been slacking the past, like, two and a half weeks uh, with my weightlifting, but it's just because I've been training, you know, every – The been bike racing. always does come first. So yeah. Right. If you're, you're, you know, the bike, if you're, like, feeling tired, then the gym is definitely second, and you just go do core. What do you do, or how do you balance that? Do you go to the gym on days where you're doing lower intensity or a day that I, you aren't going to be on the bike? I actually, it's kind of the opposite. I like to put the gym on harder training days. Nice. Um, whether it's before or after the workout, kind of depends on the workout. But I like to do it on harder days because then you're not like, you're, then you're not sacrificing any recovery. Because if you were to do your gym on an off day or do your gym on a recovery day, then you're not really getting the full benefit of the recovery and of the gym. So yeah. I think it's nice to be able to, you know, do the gym, do a hard bike workout, and then you have a rest day. So. And then I think going back to what Sophia was saying, how we just started working that trainer, I think um, makes a big difference having someone show you how to do everything properly. Because I don't want, you know, you shouldn't just go into the gym and pick up some heavy stuff and think you're going to get stronger because you, you got to be able to do it right, not hurt yourself. Because right. if you're going to hurt yourself doing it, there's no point in doing it. So. Yeah. It's called CrossFit. Yeah, that's exactly. called CrossFit. Yes. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I totally disagree with that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And even I have, I mean, I have an exercise science um, you know, degree and, you know, I've taken classes on strength training, but, you know, you still need someone else to look at your form and tell you what to do, how to do it. And, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's, um, it's a, a process. Good, that's a good point. Like it's, it's also ongoing, like with your riding too, I think uh, a benefit of having a confidant or, or we call it a coach or just call it a riding partner or whatever else you want to call it, but to always kind of provide a, a secondary perspective on things, I think that's mm -hmm. really helpful too. You know, something you said on the recovery I think is super important, and I 
guess highlights, for example, you said you might do 22 hours of training, right? I assume that when you're doing like a big volume week like that, you also cut down on everything else in terms of activity, right? Like the projects you may be doing, probably not going to be doing a no, whole No, projects are called Netflix. Yeah, exactly. At that point, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and cooking. <laughs> yeah. That's something that people don't understand is it's not just like how much you can train in terms of like, so I have six hours a week and those six hours are free for me to train, right? Like if somebody says that, mm-hmm. if you have those six hours a week, that's, that's just fine. But really what you should be looking at instead is how much recovery can I do? Because mm-hmm. you need to offset all that work with recovery. Oh, and totally. and I see so many people mi- mix that up, you know, they, they end yeah. up training too much and it's like, yeah, they work at a desk job, right? So they think that's recovering, just sitting there with their legs bent at the desk the whole day. And maybe it isn't recovery. Maybe you're super stressed at work. Maybe it's, you know, whatever else it recovering is, is something I think kind of an art of its own. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, I think it's more important than training in some mm-hmm. aspects, you know, cause if you can't recover from the training you're doing, then it's kind of useless. Yeah. How, do you guys have any recovery hacks, like things that you do to maximize the, the effect of recovery or how you do it? Um, I think one thing that's helped me a bunch, there's the elevated legs, mm. you know, those, cause I think those are like the big moon boot thing. Yeah. Right? Like yeah, the just pumps. squeeze you. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, I think I'm not sure if it's always the, the legs themselves. Mm. I think sometimes it's like, it forces you to sit down for 30 or 45 minutes and do nothing because like you, you can't yes. move. You have to sit there with your feet up. <laughs> And watch TV or read a book or whatever you want to do, and I think right. that's that's also a big part of it. Because sometimes it's hard to, for me to sit still for that long, yeah. so it's good to like <laughs> right. give me something to do. That's a good point. Like uh, uh, Mark Pro, I don't know if you've seen those things, but there's basically like a tens unit, and I'm yeah. sure if there's a Mark Pro marketing guy listening, he's probably like, no, don't call it a tens unit, but it shocks you. That's it. Yeah. So, and it basically the point is it's supposed to like contract your muscles without putting out any effort, and then increase blood flow and help mm-hmm. recovery. And then like those legs that you talked about, they have graduated pressure and, mm-hmm. and they follow through to try to flush your legs out as well. But the thing about it that have, it's always been really hard is like, well, if I'm honest with myself, if I didn't use this thing, I would probably sit down for a bit and then get busy with something else. Exactly. But I mean, whatever forces you to just lay down, right? Yeah. Um, I remember reading a book and they talked about back in like the, the postal days, like US postal days, uh, George Hancap, he was like the best at recovery. And he had like everything you could possibly need, like within arm's reach at all times. And he just like <laughs> could never move, you know, he's really good at it. But I, I don't know, I would not be able to, I like right now I'm training somewhere in between six to 10 hours a week. Uh, that's the 10 would be great. I just can't really fit that in. But the big thing is once I get to 10 hours, I can offset that with recovery. So Mm -hmm. it's a tricky thing. So if anybody's listening, these pros don't just sit there all day. They, they have things to do and that affects their recovery too. So also have lives. Yeah. Right. I'll also add in there though, that, you know, something I do a lot, especially when I'm racing cyclocross in the fall is go get a massage, Mm. you know, that is, it's expensive and it's, you know, sometimes hard to afford, um, but it's amazing the work that they can do, you know, especially our hip flexors that get super tight, you know, yeah. the glutes. Um, I know the lady we go to, she does amazing stuff on my upper back. And um, I always, you know, I always do that on a Monday just so I can start the training week pretty fresh. And if I am racing, I go a little bit lighter, but then after a big training block, I normally have her go and do some deep pressure um, massage and, it's expensive, but it's amazing. 
Yeah. You know, especially after doing what we're about to do tomorrow, um, I need to text her already to make my appointment <laughs> yeah, for Monday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, I really want a yeah. massage right now. That was really rough. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I, we'll, we'll talk about, if anybody's wondering, we'll talk about my race on another episode. <clears throat> we'll, we'll, we'll fill it, that one Because it's not about you, too. Because it's not about <laughs> me. Yeah. Uh, it really isn't. Uh, one uh, last thing that I wanted to cover on, too, was cooking. Because you guys do, uh, which, by the way, they when you had me over at your house, it was delicious. We had awesome food, by the way. It's not what he told me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was just simple stuff that was so good and so well done. Uh, first of all, what do you guys usually have in terms of, or clearly it varies, but if you were to like give an idea of what you, uh, an athlete like you typically eats throughout the week, what do you usually eat? We love our steaks. I'm just going to throw that out there. You know, when I was in college, I didn't drink, I don't drink alcohol like maybe once or twice a year. Um, so that saved me a lot of money, but yeah. I never bat an eye at spending $15 on a steak. Ooh, um, nice. You know, we definitely buy organic steak, chicken, um, some sausages. Um, we eat a lot of rice, sweet potatoes, veggies. And we normally shop, you know, when you go into a grocery store, we normally shop on the outsides of the grocery store. We never really go down the aisles unless it's like Good tip. for cereal or... Cliff um, bars. Or yeah. Sophia's Oreos. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a, Oreos. I'm obsessed with Oreos. I'm telling you, Oreos <laughs> equals power. Every time I had an Oreo before a race, I always do good. Um, so that's my fuel choice. <laughs> do, you, do you usually, are you, are you carb heavy athletes? Are you um, carb light? It kind of depends on the training load and the time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely like when I'm not training as much or racing as much, I like move more to protein and fat. Obviously I still eat carbs. I just love carbs. So yeah. I still eat a, quite a few of them, yeah. but I definitely like change more over to like more protein or whatever else when I'm not training as much. So interesting stuff on, on the trainer road yeah. podcast that, that, um, that I record and I'm a part of, we have two kind of differing schools of thought with our CEO, Nate, and then mm-hmm. our head coach, Chad. It's like, you know, Chad's on the on the high fat side of things. And then Nate's actually testing out something that's a, a lot more carbohydrate, uh, certainly a lot more than what, what Chad would have. And it's interesting to see how it's working for Nate and Chad seems to work for him too. I think so, it's kind of individual as well, right? It is. And, you know, some people may have to eat more carbs. Some may, you know, want more fat, more protein, whatever. Yeah. How do you, how, yeah, I guess it's just trial and error, figuring it out, figuring out what works. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, so, okay. With all that stuff, more or less out of the way, uh, let's get into some tire stuff. Let's get into the business, Steven. Okay. It's business time. First of all, it's kind of a, a lot of people get really confused on this stuff. For example, on talking about Trainer Road again, we just did the Carson City Off-Road and Nate, our CEO, was setting up, he was set up with Minion, the Minion SS tire. And then a lot of people got really confused on that. So first of all, they thought it was really gnarly, but they actually kind of misunderstood the tire. And I guess this is why we want to talk about tires in general. Hopefully we can give you guys a clear indication of what all those crazy acronyms mean, what all the numbers mean and which tires you should get uh, for the riding conditions or discipline that you actually ride on. And Steven, you know, things on tires, so we'll be able to cover this. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Quite a lot. Uh, really quick touching on the minion SS. 
that's not actually necessarily a slow rolling tire. Those knobs in the center are really small and they're really close together and they're ramped really heavily too. Yeah. It's remember that tire is made to like roll quickly. It's it, one of the fastest rolling rear specific tires I've ever ridden. Yeah. It rolls really quick. Yeah. So, uh, but it's the side knobs. If you roll it over on the side, you're it hooks up. Yeah. Yeah. It hooks, hooks up. Hard. Yeah. It's got, it's got DHF DHR tread blocks on the corners. So it's pretty sweet. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, I guess let's cover tread patterns. Let's do that. Okay. And Sophia and, and Keegan, you come from the XC side of things. So this is going to be in uh, Steven, let's have you cover the party side of things. So I I know things about X. That's true. You do. I know things about Enduro. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> we can all I don't. <laughs> yeah. First of all, Steven, what type of, if somebody's looking at, uh, the tread on a tire, how can they know if it rolls fast or not? Uh, usually a, a faster rolling tire tread blocks that like your tread, your individual tread blocks are going to be tighter spaced. Um, you're, they're going to be smaller and they're going to have more either gradual ramps or I guess an easy ramp. What's a ramp? The ramp is on the front edge of the tire as the, as your tread block comes down onto the ground, it's not a hard edge. The ramp itself would basically be an angled cut of that, Mm. um, tread block. And it would basically allow it to touch the ground in a gradual, smoother fashion. As opposed to a ledge, like a square knob just hitting the ground. Like think a Hans Dampf or, you know, something, some tire like that, where it's just a big giant square edge. Like a dirt bike tire. That creates friction. Like a dirt bike tire. Yeah. Yeah, That would be slow. Yes. Yes. Quite (laughs) slow. Yeah. That creates friction and thus increases rolling resistance as the tread comes around onto the ground. Would it be fair to say that it also, to a certain degree, transfers forward momentum or translates forward momentum into upper momentum? So I guess you get a loss of that forward momentum because if you were to look at it, I guess, like on a micro scale, you're zooming in. Every time that tire rolls forward and a knob hits the ground, that should technically be causing that resistance of of stopping that forward momentum a bit and transferring it into yeah. upper momentum. I guess momentum. it depends on how far apart they're spaced, too. Yeah, and it also depends on the compound because yeah. the compound of the tire is just going to deflect that energy outward, but that's also absorbing energy that could be put into forward so momentum. So a harder compound is also going to roll faster. Yes. Mm. Back to like the... So it, and back to like the smaller, tighter space knobs, they're generally going to be harder knobs as well. Yeah. It's because... Because there's two sides of of, uh, of a tire in, in rolling resistance. There's mm-hmm. your knobs and the actual construction, and then there's the the compound that's used. Yeah. And the casing. Well, casing as well. Yeah, yeah, casing and compound, I guess I was going to put in there. Yeah, I guess they're yeah. all kind of, kind of together. But you yeah. could have a soft compound on a hard, like low TPI casing, and it's going to, you know, right? So there's a lot of different... Variations. Yeah. Hold it with those acronyms. We'll get to that soon. <laughs> Sheesh. Um, oh, we've already talked about TPI. That's thread per I, threads per inch. We know that. Okay, threads per inch. We've already discussed that. Good. Okay. What makes a tire break well? If you're looking at look at a tread pattern, and we're just talking about tread patterns here, but if you were to look at a tire and think, oh, that tire will break well or it will break poorly, what would be the defining characteristic there? It should be a tire. Well, you wouldn't want a tire that rolls super fast, right? Because when you're braking, you'd want almost the opposite effect. So let's say you turn those ramps around. Yep. then that square edge is going to bite. So you'd want a tire with a more square edge than more, more, a less, so you'd want a, less, a lesser ramp, I guess you could say. And ironically, the funny part is what makes it faster rolling is also what's going to make it worse at braking. It's exactly. the same edge of the tread that's going to cause that issue. Would yeah. a tread that has, or would a tire that has less knobs spaced further apart, would it break better than a tire with a bunch of knobs that are closer together? Or is it just more about the ramping or leading edge of the tread? It's more it, about the leading edge. It also depends on the terrain you're riding on. Yeah. Because if there's a lot of knobs and there's a lot of rubber contact on the ground, then mm-hmm. it's going to break pretty well in the right kind of condition. So if you're on like kind of hard packed kind of gravelly stuff, 
then even if it's a pretty fast rolling tire, there's so much rubber on the ground at mm -hmm. once that's going to break pretty well. Then if you were riding, let's say, a tire that with like big mud spikes, mm -hmm. even though they're big square knobs, they look like they're going to bite well, it's not going to break very well because there's not a whole lot of rubber on the ground. Like a Maxxis Shorty. Yeah. So not going to work well. You yeah. want or surface a beaver. area. A beaver. Yeah. yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. So you want surface area. You want there. surface area. It's all about tread contact and surface area. Yeah. Okay. And then compound also plays a part in, in breaking traction as well. Harder compounds yeah. are going to lose traction faster than a softer compound. It makes sense. I guess the tire would deform less, right? So. Well, tire would deform less and you just basically don't have... If you think about rubber on a very microscopic level, it's got tiny little air pockets and edges and just, it's not actually a solid, it's, it's a permeable, porous. it's a porous um, uh, material. So the softer compounds are more porous and have more micro edges or micro areas for the tire to bite into. Okay. So a softer compound should technically have better braking than a harder compound. Yes. Yeah. So if you were to look at a tire and also, let's say you live in the Western United States. So chances are you ride on loose over hard. Uh, that's what, I mean, in Salt Lake, that's what we ride yeah. there. That's what we ride here in mm -hmm. our area. Southern California, same thing. Actually you ride on con or like loose over concrete down there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's the typical deal. What type of tire tread would you look for? for, I guess, let's let's cover XC racing. In those conditions, Keegan, what is your favorite tire and what does it look like? Um, my favorite go-to tire is the Maxxis Aspen 2.25. Mm, where the beer flows like wine. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, <laughs> the tire's kind of got chevron-shaped knobs in the middle. Yeah. Um, and they're slightly ramped. Okay. And they're pretty low. Um, and there's quite a few of them, so there's quite a bit of tread contact and just like casing contact. Okay. And the tire rolls very fast. I think it still breaks pretty well because there's quite a bit of contact, especially being a 2.25 with a high volume. You can run it pretty low. I run 19, 20, 21 PSI, somewhere right. in there. Um, and then there's various variations on casing and whatnot. So it depends on you know how rocky it is and whatnot. I think that tire, it's even if it's uh, like kind of somewhat wet out, it still works quite well because even though the lot knobs are low, there's they're spaced well, so it doesn't collect a whole lot of mud. So hmm. it clears That's really fast. Clears so quick. I think people, it's like, even though the knobs are low and there's not a whole lot of them, like you think of a semi-slick in the mud, it's just not going to pick up anything. So right. yeah. there's like kind of a fine line between like, you know, not having enough grip, but still clearing. I think the tire, it works, for me, it works pretty well everywhere. I've kind of always just use it, so... Sophia, what tires do you run? And if you're to run them, like what tires your favorite in the in the area where you ride there in Utah? Um, so right now I have the Kenda Saber. Uh, I normally run a 2.2, and okay. those tires actually, when you look at them, and if you were not to see what uh, thick or width they would be, uh, they actually look a lot bigger. Um, so I'm actually able to run 17 to 18 uh, PSIs, which is pretty nice. close to what I run on my cyclocross tubulars. Um, so that's kind of my favorite tire. It uh, works pretty well on any condition unless it's like super muddy. Is it like a semi-slick or is it? It's, it's kind of similar to the Aspen in a way that's not like a full semi-slick. It's got a little more knob, okay. um, but it's still very low. Okay, that makes sense. And Steven, when you're riding more trail stuff, and then we can cover enduro too, what tires do you prefer? You know me. I have I have so many favorite tires. You do. Um, yeah, you're a man of favorite tires. You know, it, on my Jekyll right now, 
I'm running uh, the softest compound of the Minion DHF 2.5 wide trail. Okay. So I'm running the max grip version. I always like a super grippy front tire. I don't like Max Terra's compound as much on the front. Okay. Um, so, so I run the max grip version. Let's cover that really quick. So different tire compounds. So you can, but then we'll get into your favorite tires, but yeah. let's cover the compounds. What are, what are we talking about with that? So with compounds, the, the basis for all rubber, you have this scale of hardness of rubber and it's, a, it's called the durometer of rubber. Mm, yes. The, the higher the number, the harder the rubber is. <laughs> okay. And so the lower the number, the softer the rubber is. Can you give us an example of like what, what those numbers would be? Yeah. So like on Sophia's Sabres, um, I believe they run a 68 durometer on the center of the tread. So okay. where you're riding in a straight line, the cornering blocks is a 50A durometer rubber. It's a little bit softer, a little bit tackier, better Ever. for cornering traction. Um, now go down to the Maxis, like my uh, wide trail Minion DHF in the front. Yeah, I'm running, uh, I believe it's a 45A durometer in the center, and then it's a 40 on the sides. So when you grab the cornering lugs, on my Minion DHF, they feel like gummy bears. They're like super soft, super tacky. The tire wears out faster, a lot faster, but right. you get a lot better traction out of it. What were those? You had some Mavic tires on your on your Yeti, the yeah. last one you had. That those things were. I, I hit the brakes and almost went over the bars. Yeah. Like so, uh, it's Sea Otter, mind you, where it's just like you know pea gravel on top of yeah. bard. What, what were those? So what that, was the durometer there? That front tire is, that that tire combination is actually the the best all-around 29er tire compound that I've ever used, or well, yeah. tire that I've used, combo that I've used. And uh, that was the Maxxis, or I'm sorry, the Mavic Charge XL yeah. uh, front tire, which uses a 38A durometer rubber on the it's cornering crazy. lugs and a 40 in the center. Um, and then the rear tire was a 50-45 combo, and it's a faster rolling version with a slightly different tread. But the front only tire is a terrible rear tire. I've done right. that tire at the Dirty Sanchez Enduro. It's way too front. slow. <laughs> and yeah. it's way too slow for climbing or doing anything like that. But that tire in the front is good for about a day and a half of racing from being a brand new tire. Wow. And that's it. Holy cow. Yeah, and it's done. It's it, it really apart. did feel it's, like goo. Like yeah, it was ripping like, to pieces. It, it'll yeah. rip to pieces, but I'll tell you what, while it's good, it's good. It's good. Yeah. yeah. That thing was crazy yeah. grippy. So what would you run if you're like a, a trail rider? What would you be looking for? A typical trail riders, uh, you would probably run Maxxis's Max Terra compound in the front and rear okay. um, because it's kind of that, I don't want to say the Goldilocks era or area, but it's the best of both worlds. The tire's not going to be a two race tire. It's not going to last five years, but you're going to get good traction out of it. Okay. Um, so, and then with that, you know, here we have a lot of rocks. Um, Park City, I actually don't know how everything there's is some. like jagged rocks. Depends on where you're riding. There's some very jagged, loose rocks and okay. embedded rocks. And there's also some, there's also some like super buff, smooth, just moon dust and that kind of stuff. Okay. So, so yeah. you know, the thing that I always used to tell customers when I worked at the bike shop was, you know, a lot of customers want the lightest tire possible, but they don't consider sidewall slashes or anything like that. So I always tell people to take the weight penalty of EXO protection. Especially on a, uh, anything, I mean, any on an XC bike or enduro, especially on an enduro bike, yeah. it's what's it's an extra 50 grams tops. Yeah, like that's, that's like two gels. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, that's not yeah. very much weight. That was exactly. two less French fries that they had that day. Yeah, right? And it exactly. will literally <laughs> make the difference between a race ending puncture yeah. on the sidewall and you being able to finish. So, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, EXO protection, um, 
what is it? Uh, Schwalbe has the snake skin. WTB mm-hmm. has their tough casing. Um, WTB is a completely different animal in tires just because their stuff, I think, protection-wise is better than every other brand, but you get a huge weight penalty by going mm-hmm. to WTB tires in any size. They're just always heavier. Yeah. They're light even casing. their cross, t- cross tires that I'm running, they're pretty heavy. Yeah. They're not light. Yeah. Um, but they, they're awesome. They're yeah. good tires. So. Yep. It, does that change at all? Like, uh, I guess, do they want to change the TPI or not TPI, but the compound? Do they want to change that if you're going into like East Coast conditions where it might be a little more? I mean, more, if it's going like, to be wet, stuff? Yeah. like wet and mossy, kind of rooty. You're going to want a softer compound. Yep. Like okay. the softer compound is going to bite better on anything that's slippery. Okay. Right? Um, a really hard pound, hard compound is just going to skip off things and not going to want to grab those roots and rocks as well. Mm. So. Okay. Just remember, guys, whenever you put winter tires on your car, they're softer compound. Yeah. Ah, Just the same thing. Yep. Same concept. That's why the car, like, you know, when you turn hard with those on, they like to, like, kind of shimmy and drift a little. (laughs) They do. Yeah. That makes things fun. Yeah. Uh, Keegan is a tire nerd. Yes, I like is. him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they've just met. They're bonding. Sophia and I are just watching the the magic happen here. Um, I guess another thing, if you're going to like loamy conditions, which we never really encounter in XC, rarely it's really rare. <laughs> I feel like Canada sometimes. Yeah, and um, the Nova Mesto World Cup course mm. is loamy, but other than that, there's not a ton of loam out there. Would you um, change the tire choice that you would have there? I still ran the Aspen. And check. I think it's sometimes you can change tire pressure. Okay. Um, but generally, like unless it's super loamy, like within you might you might want to run an icon because the knobs are slightly taller. Okay. Um, if maybe if you lived up in the the uh, northwest, yeah. I've never really ridden up there much. So I don't really know how loamy it is, but sometimes you want a little more bite. So. I think they spell loam with a capital L up there. So. I think so. <laughs> I'm, sure they, yeah. I'm sure they do. Yeah, they refer yeah. to themselves as loam rangers all the time. I see it. Yeah. I think they uh, have a coffee company called like Loam, loam Coffee. Co- yeah. Loam Coffee. Yeah. 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 We're so it's so foreign for us to experience loam on mountain bikes here. Yeah, we have moon dust and jagged rocks. That's yeah. Pretty much what we ride in. On if a daily if basis you ride here. a dirt bike in this area, there are spots with you can really find loam up stuff. in the mountains on a dirt yes, bike. Yes. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Sandy kind of sand clay mix and get it wet, and it's it turns into loam real quick yeah. so loam by the way for what we're talking about there usually like what you see for mountain biking it's like loose deep organic dirt so in other words when i say organic i'm not talking about like you know cage free you know <laughs> stuff that you find at whole foods or grass something bed. But, yeah grass bed <laughs> grass bed um, but actually that's kind of close like pine needles and like it's yeah. generally like it can rain as a lot on it and it doesn't really get muddy it just gets kind of wet and sloppy it's a very dark dirt yeah yeah, Whereas, is, yeah, yeah. we don't really have much of that up here yeah, yeah actually right up at the mountains that you guys are looking at right above us right here in reno there is one spot that that can get quite Robin loamy. hood and so, browns can get loamy yeah that's about it a lot of fun so uh but that that type of stuff if you are riding in those type of uh, in those type of conditions you probably want to have like you said maybe a little taller knobs that that's something to consider in that situation mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that kind of covers tread patterns. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention with tread patterns or actually two things. First of all, if you have diagonally slanted knobs, one thing that you can notice a lot of the time is let's say like, uh, you're riding East coast stuff and you have a lot of rocks and roots and everything else like that. The angle of those knobs will also affect the direction in which your rear wheel will deflect. If you're bouncing through that stuff, I've noticed this. So like if you have slanted knobs, for example, and you hit a root, 
a lot of the time that deflects laterally rather than just bouncing over it or anything else more if you have those slanted knobs. And you think about it, it makes sense, right? Okay. Slanted knobs, you catch traction on something and then you're just yeah. going to fall off of that. So if you find yourself, uh, in fact, I, I watched a guy, his video is Seth's bike hacks on, um, on YouTube. And I, every video I see of him from, from behind his bike is always skipping to the side. And I was like, I wonder what tire he runs. And he sure, also might have too much pressure in his tires. That's true too. Yeah. And I, I checked on what tread he runs. I asked him and, and yeah, sure enough, slanted knobs. So if you're running into that type of a situation and you want to get rid of that, you might want to look at something that has straighter, like something like an icon, for example. Doesn't yeah, they're really, pretty square. Yeah, they're pretty square. So that might be able to help you out there. Or like the Kenda Small Block 8, something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Now going into tires that are, uh, or let's cover the tread pattern that we see on something like a Minion SS or like a lot of semi-slicks. When we say a semi-slick, we're talking about It'll have like texture on the rubber in the center, mm -hmm. or might have very small tread, right? Is that that? Yeah, that and I guess one? like the Minion SS or, or uh, Riddler. Yeah, like those tires, they're almost. It's almost like instead of being a semi-slick in the middle, it's like a cross-country knob in the middle. Yeah, and then it has enduro side knobs. And it's and that's it's funny yeah. because enduro we think that's a semi-slick. Yeah, exactly. Whereas for us, that's yeah. like a proper knob, right? right? Yeah, and then. And then so for cross country, a semi-slick is literally like someone took a razor blade and just kind of hacked some X's into the casing. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. kind of depends on what you're doing to how to define how you define semi-slick. Yeah, right. So, yeah. I, I think uh, that more or less kind of covers, I guess, tread patterns. Oh, usually if you are going to run a semi-slick, like an enduro semi-slick like that, you run it in the rear usually uh, to allow for faster Right, I should say faster rolling. And then in the front, you usually run something that's just like full on, yeah. but it's not necessary. No, and, and the thing about the semi-slick craze in, and, and I'm, I love semi-slick rear tires for enduro riding. The big thing in, in, in enduro specifically is when you run a semi-slick, the thing you need to understand is you lose a lot of braking performance out of it, but you're doing that so that you can climb faster and sprint faster in the middle of your segment, mm -hmm. but still have the cornering traction. So you look at like the Minion SS, the cornering lugs are identical to what's on a Minion DHF. Yeah, you but lean it's that thing over in the center. You, you lean it at, over and it feels good. Yeah. You look at Schwalbe's yeah. Rock Razor. It is the cornering lugs of a Hans Dom for a Magic Mary with the center of a Thunderbird. And that is, you know, it, there's a specific reason you do that, but there are trade-offs to running a semi-slick. Yeah, and with that way you get the fast rolling, but then when you need to lean it over in a turn, you still get traction, exactly. which is awesome. Yeah. And and we're seeing I'm like from the cross slash gravel world, I'm seeing a lot of tires that actually are popping up that could be really good for XC stuff too, where it's like really tiny center knobs and then mm -hmm. they've got a little more aggressive side knobs like that. I like the trend. Like I just I just put the forty five C Riddlers on my cross bike and I think those would be a perfect cross country tire. Yeah, from they, WTB I for like pretty good. for really narrow. You know, they're a narrow tire. I mean, they're only forty five, which is like a one point seven. Yeah, it's like cool. a one seven. If they so made it little, fatter, though. it would be awesome. Yeah, if they made a fifty version, that would be really sweet. Yeah. But I like the tread pattern. So yeah, um, so let's cover one thing really quick. Let's cover siping. It's called, and actually, kind of what you mentioned there, like taking a razor blade to the center of the tire and just creating some cuts in it. It's actually not far off of what siping. That's is. what they do to 
knobs. Siping is a different direction, though. You're talking about cutting spikes to make it lower. Siping is a Mm. vertical cut in the tread block to basically make that tread block two separate tread blocks. Like snow tires. Like a snow tire. There we are. Like you think of a Bridgestone Blizzak or a Toyo Observe or something for your car where you've got those tiny little slits that you only see. What that's doing is that's one, giving you more biting edges, but then it's also giving in wetter conditions like in East Coast, it gives the water somewhere to evacuate to get away from the surface so that your tire can have better traction. Did you know they sipe their hot dogs in Chile? Sorry, random fact. I, I mean, I guess totally you, could, you could absorb like stuff better. I so guess so. Absorbs the mustard better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever you it, put on it, your hot dog. It looks like it's not like you're eating it in a hot dog, but that was like a thing when I lived in Chile. Like, they they serve it with like noodles all the time, just noodles and hot dogs. Not very, just not very tasty, but they look like octopus, and I think they think that's awesome, so that's why they do it. Oh, they like you know? totally siped them, like they, cut yeah. them in strips. They, like, cut them, was, like, and then like when you boil it, it like kind of flares out, and it looks like a little octopus. Yeah. This is the weirdest tangent he's ever on. <laughs> We're talking about siping, so. And John, I want my hot dog siped with diagonal sipes. Yeah, exactly, diagonal siping. Yeah. So when would you sipe a tire? When would you sipe well, a they tire? Generally, they generally come pre-siped. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd say it's like, it's pretty rare that, like, you would take a razor blade to a tire. There's probably a few guys that do it. I think it's more common in enduro and downhill than it is yeah. for us. Because um, siping also makes your tire roll slower. Yeah. So there's... Like kind of a trade off there, right? Yeah, um, I see it in downhill. It's also a lot of work yeah. to sipe a tire. <laughs> That's so, uh, <laughs> so. Quick story. And I know I'm asking what siping is, and this is perhaps disingenuous. I know I know exactly what siping is because we used to do it on my motocross tires back in the day, and we actually used to use like a siping hot iron. You mm-hmm. basically have, and that, that way you can like burn it in. And the first time we siped tires, we just thought, just like put cuts in there, man. It's going to make it great. And it was on a really hard pack course. So that's why we did it because we wanted to have more compliance out of the tire. Okay. Because even though we had soft, sticky Dunlops at that time, they were great. 13 inches of travel your bike has isn't going to be compliant enough. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, basically Fair. it was traction. That's like what we yeah. really wanted. We didn't want it. We, it's down in a place in California called Lake Elsinore. It's just like... It's like riding on hard pack clay. Like oh you want like, my. a tire like spread out and grab more. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And that dirt is terrible. It's like cement. It's just white. It, there's nothing in that dirt. It's the opposite of organic loam. So, And you need to your tire for something like that or have a really soft compound tire. And we did it incorrectly. We just went through and made a bunch of cuts and it made my bike feel like it was on ice. Yep. It was terrifying. So don't just go crazy and cut these things. There's a definitely an art to this. And I think I've seen some videos online from pro mechanics and stuff like that that you can check out, but it's very specific. And when you're making those cuts, you're making the tire behave in a certain way. So you really have to know what you're doing on that. Then the other side is chopping knobs, right? Do you ever see guys chopping knobs off? Yeah. I mean, you could, I mean, sometimes I've seen guys chop, like they take like a mud, like a full mud spike cross country tire and they chop the knobs just a little bit to make it roll a little faster, but then it's still going to clear mud well. Cause the problem with the mud spike is the knobs are so tall that when you get on wet rocks or roots, it just squirmy and wants to just like, doesn't want to go anywhere. Yeah. So, and they're almost time a mud spike is also really low volume. So you can't run them at super low pressure. Yeah. So they do that to get more rubber on the ground and so it'll clear. You can also take a tire that's like, has got a lot of knobs on it and you could clip like every other knob or whatever to make it clear mud better. So there's like a few applications. I've never really done it myself. 
Yeah. I just always try and find the tire that's going to work without having to hack it to pieces. That sounds like a Keegan project, perhaps in the future. I could see, maybe, maybe. I could see him getting a bunch <laughs> of tires. Maybe I'll cut my moto tires up. There we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And it's funny because uh, I know the help I can get on that thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the Maxis Spiker people in the downhill world used to just take that and just cut, 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 cut all the way around and spend a couple hours on it. And then Maxis finally got smart and made the shorty. Yeah, and that yeah. was, you know, so they just made it so their riders don't have to cut their spikes anymore. Because huh. tires are expensive. Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, like I, I think. Yeah, I don't think tire like sponsors would appreciate their riders hacking them to pieces either. Because it's like, well, we gave you this tire. Why don't you just find one that works. But yeah. I mean, yeah. even if you're just yeah. buying a tire, I mean, a set. Of, I know Schwalbe tires for a set. You're looking above a hundred dollars. Yeah, it's um, not cheap. Like it I think is not. Well, that's wholesale for a hundred bucks for exactly. a couple tires. Yeah, Maybe, that's yeah. yeah. It's like sixty to eighty dollars. I think. Yeah. Retail, so it's 140 one, or 120, 160. Yeah, it's not cheap. Uh, yeah, they're not cheap at all. It's crazy because a dirt bike tire is like almost the same cost. Just yeah. frustrates me to no end that, that it's almost the same cost, right? But but what I found funny is on your trip back from the Pro XCT in Salt Lake when you destroyed a tire or whatever happened, yeah. you were like stoked to find a tire for 100 bucks for the Mini Cooper. Yeah, for exactly. Sarah's Mini. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, okay, that's, you know, one Enduro tire right yeah. there. That's yeah. it. It's a cheap car tire. Yeah. I, I, I was in an yeah. emergency. I was stuck in the middle of Nevada. I would take whatever would fit on that rim at that point. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess that covers tread, right? I don't think there's anything else to add to tread. I don't think so. If you're still with so. us, good job. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get into something that's perhaps even less exciting because we're going to start talking about casing now. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so there's the tread that lives on top of the round thing that is the actual carcass or casing of the tire. And I find that a lot of the time the carcass or casing of the tire has a more influence over how that tire behaves and how your bike handles than the tread I agree. patterns. Especially Absolutely. for cross country riding. I yeah, think it's totally more important there than it maybe is so in enduro and downhill. Yeah. Um, Cause there's slower speeds and you're gonna rely more on like the casing flexing and bending to grab than you are the knobs themselves. That's why like the Aspen may have small, pretty low knobs, but when you run it at 19, 20 PSI, that tire with like the high, it's like 120 TPI, it's going to bend and flex and bite. Like the casing is going to bite literally. Mm. And you're not relying on the knobs much at all. Yep. So, so let's cover TPI since we're talking about casing threads per inch. Yes. But what type of threads are we talking about? How, how does that, so is, is more, is a higher TPI number? Does that mean the tire is going to be stiffer? Does a lower TPI mean it's going to be oh, softer? No, higher TPI means that it's going to be more supple because the, mm -hmm. the actual nylon or Kevlar or whatever threads you have, and it varies by brand, the actual threads themselves are smaller. So they're more flexible. You have more of them per mm -hmm. inch. There's less rubber, There's, yeah, which so also makes a tire less durable because there's more threads to cut yeah. as opposed to having more rubber. But also the tire roll fat, rolls faster because the tire is more compliant. So the tire is going to absorb, let's say you're riding down in the parking lot and there's like a pebble on the road. It's going to absorb that faster than it would if it were like a 50 TPI tire, for example. Exactly. Right. Oh, so like okay. the faster, like it's going to hit, it's going to take these more reactions, like a, like a spring and just like suck them up and you're just going to roll through them rather than rolling over them. Yeah. That I genuinely did not know. This so is good stuff. You take a 120 PTI tire, you're going to roll way faster. Even though it's exactly the same tread, exactly the same PSI, everything, you're going to be faster. Yep. Is so. there a higher price tag with higher yes. PTI? Yes, way more. Okay. 120 so. TPI tires are usually, they're harder to manufacture, so they end up being more money. Yep. And they don't last as long, well, correct? I mean, they can last just as long. It just, like I, I'm just thinking of a Schwalbe, right? I used to run 
Okay. They have those. Never last. But that's no also, matter what yeah. they are, they never <laughs> last. That has, been, that has been my experience. That's yeah. also like the tread compound. So if it's the compound, it's going to wear out faster. And then you're not even going to make it to, you're not even going to start wearing the casing out because the tread's going to be worn out. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. That makes sense. Mainly the tread wears before casing. So the tire itself is our threads inside nylon or Kevlar encapsulated in rubber, yes. right? Okay. And so what, what do you aim for in terms of TPI number? Keegan, what do you like to have for the general type of riding you do? So we're talking loose over hard stuff. Uh, higher the better. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. 120 is like, nice. It's a target. Okay. Um, but you're not that, training on that too, right? Or generally do. Oh, you do. Because I mean, you kind of want to train on what you're racing on. Yep, that's a good like, point. Mm. To a certain extent, I mean, generally my training tires are all EXO, so because you don't want you don't want to limit your flatting flats while you're training. So EXO with the same mm. casing. So you do have to run like a little lower PSI because EXO may, it does make it a bit stiffer and a little less compliant. So right. it does take away some of the benefits of the high TPI. Yeah. So because huh. you've got that sidewall rigidity, exactly. because you're basically what EXO casing is is from the bead up like three quarters of the sidewall, you get an extra layer of Kevlar sandwiched into the matrix of the tire, yeah. and that's the matrix. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's kind of like carbon and resin matrix when we talk about the layering. That's what a tire it's layered in between layers of Kevlar, Kevlar or nylon, layers of rubber, and then the the okay. EXO. So huh, okay, yeah. so actually a clever thing. If you get an EXO casing on your tire or whatever the brand calls it, a tougher casing, uh, or I should say more durable on the sidewalls, you mm -hmm. can go for a higher TPI and then hopefully preserve some of that. Yes, uh, you can get a higher. I mean, it's I'm not I'm not sure what different models they make with different protections. And casings, every tire is different. But uh, for example, in like the Aspen or an Icon, you can get like there's the tube type, which is just like super thin, super light. There's no, they're not tubeless ready, but they like they're they don't weigh much at all, right? And then mm -hmm. you have tubeless ready, which has a little more rubber, so the stuff doesn't, so the stands isn't seeping through, and it's like safer. I think it stays on the bead better, right? And still, it's a pretty tough tire. And then you go to EXO, which is a tubeless ready tire with EXO coating on top. So gotcha. Okay, it's it progressively, and then that, that tire would all be the same TPI, but as you go through it's going to feel stiffer, right? So the EXO isn't going to feel as good as the tube type in, in theory. Okay. You can feel, they can, you can feel their ride rougher. You have to run a lower PSI to get it to feel the same. Let's talk about PSI really quick. Um, and, and I guess how that influences everything else. There are certain tires that I've noticed where if you, it almost has like a threshold and this will depend on rider weight and everything else, but style, yeah. And style of riding yeah. and, and what you're riding yeah. on oh, and mm -hmm. even the bike and tire suspension is set up. There's a lot that goes into what your tire pressure ends up being. Yeah. I've, I've found that, that for example, the minion DHF, if I run that thing, which I, on my just practice wheel, I usually have that mounted up so that if things need to, if, if the bike needs to party a little more, it can, right. Okay. Has some gnarlier tires. And <clears throat> that one, I've noticed that if I go below 25 PSI, I feel like I lack sidewall support. So if you can like get squirmy, it yeah, gets, it gets yeah. squirmy. You're yeah. just rolling the sidewall over. Yeah. Yeah. Basically like if you're to imagine this in your minds, for those that are listening, like if you're looking at like a cross section of the tire, you have the knobs on top, the top part of the casing, and then the sidewalls go down to the bead. That part sits in your rim. And it basically feels like I have so much traction on top that that part's glued to the ground, but then my rim wags back and forth. Right. I think part of that is since it's a cross-country bike, you have cross-country rims, and the yes. cross-country rims are narrower and don't love to accommodate like a 2.3 or 2.4 tire, whatever minion you have on there. Yeah. Yep. 
So the tire, it's going to like roll, it's going to want to roll and fold as opposed to just like kind of moving slowly to the side, yes. right? Which if you're running a cross country tire on a cross country rim, it's like lower profile, like the knobs, I mean, the, not the knobs, like the, sorry, the casing is yeah. lower. So it's not going to want to roll and fold as much. Everyone wants to run wide tires now. And these days, you know, like wider is better. And that's like, it would not always running. better though. Yeah, that's exactly cool right. Job, as I there would is. Say. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Like if you're, if you have narrow rims, I remember a kid on our junior team, he had pretty narrow rims, like really mm -hmm. narrow ones. They were old rims from Trek. Okay. And he was running like 2.5s on oh, there. Good. And it, and another thing that does is it ends up bowing, like the, it basically it rounds tire. it out a lot. So your side knobs are way too far down. Yeah. It makes it so that you're riding on like a, the profile of a road bike rim, but it's yeah. the width of a 2.5 or road bike tire, I should say, because it's so pointed, right? So that's, that's another good point. But I guess when you find the right pressure for that tire, there are a lot of things to consider, but one of them is sidewall support. And basically if you feel unstable laterally, you feel like you're getting that give that, that decreases confidence, then in that situation, you probably need to run more pressure to give more support to that tire. Right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now, but how else do you guys, or what else do you weigh into finding out how to run the, or what pressure is the right one to run? I guess it also depends on, you know, back to the rim thing. If your rim, like, if it holds a bead really well and you're not going to burp or rip the tire off the rim, then you can go lower. Mm -hmm. um, like, stands is a pretty, like, a really good bead. So that's why I think one of the reasons I can run 19, 20 PSI and not rip the tire off the rim, because like, the other day I almost crashed, <laughs> went a little too fast into a turn. I could hear the tire fold, it, it folded over. I could hear it, like, Ooh. making that weird noise it makes, but I didn't rip it off the rim and there wasn't any stands that leaked through, right? So if it was, like... Any other, I don't know, another different rim, it might have just ripped completely off. If it was a DT Swiss, it would have ripped. It might have ripped completely off. <laughs> Their ERDs so, are usually a little smaller. Like it stayed, stuff, it was so. pretty tight. So you just threw out acronyms. Uh, what, what's, what's ERD? Effective rim diameter. It's what ah. the bead of the tire sits on inside. Okay. That makes the sense. The rims. Yeah. Okay. I do think pressure is like the biggest thing. You can have the nicest tire in the world, and if you're running too much pressure in it, it's going to suck. Yeah. So or you want to. Or too little. Or too little. Generally, that's too much that most people put in. Like, most yeah. people think 40 PSI and go, and that's not the case. I don't yeah. even run 40 PSI and I'm fat. So yeah. it's like Sophia <laughs> using like 17 and 18. Like, right. Because I know when I was a junior, like I didn't weigh that, I weighed about the same as her, and I was probably running way too much pressure. I think you were a little lighter than you when you were <laughs> yeah. young. Well, it depends on how young. When I was like, pounds, when I was like 14, 15 years old, I was probably running way too much pressure on my tires because it's like, oh, more is faster, right? That's so what we thought. Oh, so you just slide around and have no control. Yeah. So, and when you run a tire with more pressure too, it doesn't conform to the surface you're riding you on. Bounce off things. Yeah, yeah. And what we talked about that transfer of, of forward momentum into or forward, you know, that energy moving you forward inertia, then it moves it upward instead of you forward when you keep going over those bumps. So, uh, yeah. And that's the one thing that, that, uh, everyone always like people will ask like what pressure do you run in your tires and while it is an anecdote remember it's n equals one we are not talking that like this is going to be this the you know catch all yeah. for everybody yeah it also depends on the bike whether you're a hardtail full suspension totally. how much suspension whether you have a dropper post like yeah. snow bike too i mean yeah. what are you running on your oh my snow fat bike? bike i run like four and a half to six yeah. So and sometimes I'll run quite run six. On sometimes bike, sometimes yeah. I'll run like three. Like yeah. I ran it down really really low. Wow. Like and, you just and, it, and it's that's what the tire needs yeah, though. I it's mean because the tire and the rim together are so wide that if you have it much more than that, for me it just feels like you're on a pogo stick. Right. And also you don't have any grip because there's nothing to hit. It's all snow, right? So you're not gonna you're not gonna catch a rock. You're not gonna hit a root. You're not gonna like rim out because if you do rim out, it's soft. Yeah. So. Do you think, and I guess closing it out, is there anything else specifically that we should cover on the tires? I think, 
I want to get into the the future trend of wide and and seeing. I was actually going to say think. something about plus tires, but yeah, I've got. I'm I'm far outside of the norm when it comes to plus tires because I because of how aggressive I ride and how what my weight is technically. You know, right? So do you think that we? I have this theory. I think we're all actually going to be on plus bikes of some sort within the next like five. I think years. they're already getting bigger pretty quick. Well, yeah, like there was a few years ago where like cross country, like everyone in cross country was running like a one nine or a two oh. Yeah. And now if you're running a two oh it's like what are you yeah, what, what are you doing with you? Yeah, and this yeah. isn't cyclocross. Yeah. It's like for like yeah, most yeah. of the men, most of us are on two point two, two point two fives almost all the time, which is quite a bit bigger than it has been the past couple of years. And that's kind of the trend. Like, I don't think you'd ever catch me on a one nine except for in the fat tire crit. Yeah. <laughs> Is that more yeah. or less the same in the, do you see that in the women's field too? They're going to wider tires like that. Uh, kind of. I mean, I think as women, we're not and this is not a stereotype, but I know it definitely applies to me is I'm not as techie as you guys are. And we kind of tend to go with the flow um, kind of run what everyone it's else also is too, trying. They're, they're smaller and lighter for the most part, so they can run a smaller and lighter tire. And we normally and don't ride as aggressive, at least cross country to cross country, um, or even downhill, downhill, you know, when you're comparing the riding styles across um, the gender. So I think we, it's pretty similar, but I think, I know I always ask Keegan, you know, I ask him, hey, what are you running today? And he goes, you know, 21, 22. And I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, two PSIs lower than him. Um, nice. So I definitely, I'm not as techie, and I know a lot of girls are not, which is why we kind of look to the fellas out there to tell us what to run, what pressure to run, and whatnot. And it's a pretty tight-knit community in the XC world, too, which yeah. is pretty cool. So you guys can do that. Do you think we'll all be on plus bikes? Well, not plus like, bikes, but fat, fat-ish fat tires? Well, like I, I, like I said last episode, I said we pretty much are on fat. You know, we're on... Yeah. Plus tires compared to ten years ago. So you're on two point fives. I'm on two five front and a two four rear. Okay. Uh, my cross gravel bike set up on forty five C's too. So yeah, I'm on fat bike everything. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think that eventually it's going to kind of go to that. The problem that I see with it, and the problem that I've had with Plus is, you know, I prototype tested for WTB when before mm. Plus was a thing. There was, you know, it was not an advertised thing. Bikes didn't come that way, and they sent me a set of the Bridger. 2.8s and had me put them on my Jekyll because I was already prototyping their their i29 and i35 rims and they said you know go ride them report back tell us what you think you know they gave me all these things that I had to figure out and the thing that I found out is for climbing 17 psi in the front and 18 psi in the rear was phenomenal it was Mm -hmm. the most amazing traction I've ever had I went first left-hand corner tried to push in ripped both tires completely off the bead and they were tight fitting, you know, tires. Yeah. I ripped them right off. Sidewalls rolled and I actually ripped them right off the rims. Mm-hmm. And it, for my weight, because I am 200 pounds mm-hmm. plus, you know, I am a Clydesdale. So I'm outside of the average rider. Right. But sidewall technology wasn't there in the plus tires at this time. And the problem that I see is in order to get sidewalls strong enough and stable enough on a 2.0 uh, or 2.8, a 3.0 or a 3.4, you're going to be dealing with. 15, 1600 gram tires, which at nobody least, wants. Really? Yeah, you're going to have really heavy Eventually, tires. It's just going to get to the point where it's like no one wants to ride a tire that heavy. So there's going to be like this like kind of balance. Exactly. It also depends on your riding style. I think like the the plus size like 29er or 27.5 hardtails for a lot of people are probably really good bikes. Yeah, like yeah. It's a very versatile bike. It's still reasonably light. It's cheap, easy to maintain. There's no pivots. Like yeah. All you do is you put air in the tires and you yeah. go ride it. Yeah. 
So I think I think that kind of bike and that kind of tire is a really great thing for a lot of people. Um, but if I mean if you're out reason. here racing at five, you know I think some people are out there for seven hours. That's a long time to be carrying that weight up the hill. Oh, yeah. So like, yeah. I think it's you know especially then you put those then you put those same tires on a full suspension. You add 130 millimeters of travel, dropper posts, all that stuff. It just that adds up really quick, weight, right? Yeah. So on a hardtail, I think it's a pretty good application for a lot of people because yeah. I think I've heard they're pretty fun bikes. I've never yeah. ridden one, but I imagine they'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So so we're gonna have to see changes in tire tech to bring the weight down on those tires, but still maintain the integrity of the tire. Yeah. And, and the rim weight. Yeah. And the rims and the are rim get heavier too, too yeah. as they get wider, right? Yeah. So. yeah. so I think at the end of the day for, you know, the the middle 80% of, of people who are purchasing bikes, yeah, I think plus bikes are amazing. I just don't see them carrying over to cross country or enduro, or I don't see them carrying over to any sort of racing. Yeah. You know, you, you look at, you know, the trend where everybody was going super wide mm -hmm. for a while there, and now everybody's actually pulling back on the enduro side. Yeah. You know, you have your Ibis, the the 741 and 941 wheels, and those are like the hottest thing for about a year and a half, and They're the people so are wide. already pulling back. Yeah. You look at Envy, the, the widest they'll go is 31 internal. The widest, you know, WTB's going is 31 internal, and then everything else is all their scraper you I know, think stands is right in line with that too. Mm -hmm. no. I think they're on the same page. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know off the top of my head what the widths are for their the Bravo and the Valor and whatnot. But that that company we're talking about tires, I know, but that company like impresses me because their new Mark III tires or Mark III wheels that they have, like the, like the Stands Crest Mark III, I think it's wider than mm -hmm. all than like other cross country wheels that are super expensive. Yeah, those ones are wider internal width, oh, but not amazing. unreasonably wide, and they still maintain the weight. Yeah. And like that is such a cheap wheel set that and you can get. And same it's with the Valor, good. even you know, nineteen hundred oh, yeah. bucks for carbon wheels. And it's an awesome have the name, wheel. but like stands it's behind white them. and yeah. it's it like just rides really well. Yeah, so. they're and good. All that is like as a female that I don't have much uh, upper body strength. You know, this year I am on my stands Kenda tire, and it's the first year ever I have been able to change a tire on my own. And Sweet. that played a big part into what I would look at. Sometimes last year was on a combination that even Keegan couldn't take it off. You know, normally we would have to try to cut a tire off. Um, so as a female rider, definitely when you're looking at your, <laughs> at your bead technology and, you know, look at how hard it is for you to take that tire off. Because if you fought in the trail, you know, it's either you're calling someone if you can't fix it yourself. And that's what I did last year. I always made sure to have my phone because there's no way I could change a, a flat tire. Yeah, that's a crappy situation to be in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. So I think it was okay. just the combo because I think maybe if I, maybe Vitoria was tight and Reynolds rims were maybe slightly bigger and the yeah. combo yep. together just like didn't work because I've heard like those tires and other rims were just fine and yep. vice versa, right? So and well, that Vitoria's sure. on Vitoria's are gnarly they're hard to get on t uh, yeah. i usually build teal stetson lee's stuff and she's vittoria mm -hmm. and those are it's a tight fitting combo yeah, but these, Even like, the road I, tires. I broke a lot of tire levers trying to get these on and off fair yeah. like it was like beyond and you can't use a metal tire lever on a carbon rim either it's like you're, right you're like, do i want to use this because there's not that much pressure pushing down the bead yeah so like Thanks. but yeah it makes a huge difference like today i changed my tires from my slicks to my knobby tires and I didn't have a tire lever and I used a spoon and it worked. <laughs> you know, That's plastic awesome. spoon. spoon. Yeah, a plastic spoon. Yeah, and nice. you know, it was, it was awesome. It was, I can't remember the last time I changed my tires. So I was, I was excited. And you know, the stance, 
um, the Valor rims, they seal up really easily. We just did it with a hand pump. Yeah. Then you yeah. take the valve cores out. Just like yeah. boop, boop, boop. It was, it was a win-win. Awesome. I was excited today. It was, it was a big day. <laughs> Heck yeah. That's awesome. I think we've pretty much covered things with oh, tires. There's so much more with tires we could get into, but we don't yeah. have time. If you have questions on tires, you can reach out mtbpodcast.com. Or if you have comments on that, please let us know. Uh, we brought up Maxis a lot, by the way, because that's what we ride. Uh, all of us, I think more or less. So I we, ride everything. You ride everything. This guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm with then, Kenda. I say you're on Kenda. Kenda this year. Yeah. So yeah. I want to be clear that, that sure, of course that benefits those companies. Uh, and, and also, uh, Keegan and Sophia are also sponsored by these companies, but the reason we're talking about this is because it's within our realm of expertise. So I don't want to talk about a tire that I don't understand, yeah. right? So um, the one thing I would like to add is that I've always had really good luck in terms of handling and performance besides sidewall tears on specialized tires. They're, they're, they've been awesome. So like the Fast Track is a good one. Renegade's a little loose, but it's a fun tire as well for XC. But my go-to is Ardent Race. I love that tire, really good. Uh, for our area, it's 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 just deep enough so that you can get into things. I feel like it breaks way better than the Icon, which is kind of crazy. Have you ridden the Icon two three five? I have. The haven't. big dog. And that, that thing makes, is really cool. That would be sweet. I think it's I'm, like kind of the like it rolls pretty quick, but it's still there's so much volume that it likes to bite and and you can get that at 120 TPI with EXO. Yeah. Ooh. So that's a good combo. I think I would probably need to go to wider rims, maybe though, to really benefit. It's from not. That, do you it's, think? No, I think you'd be fine on your M50s. NV I think it'd be okay on the M50s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a big enough rim. As long as you're not on some pin or little like sketchy thing. You know. yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Old yeah. Mavic 19 mil and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> square yeah. profile. Yeah. Yeah. yeah those ones. Uh, so yeah, I guess I'll try those ones out. Broaden the horizons. And I've wanted to try the Aspen ever since uh, you've mentioned it so that much. That thing so. is amazing. Yeah. I want to try that one too. So, and, and I usually just stick to whatever brand I, I, I know well and kind of exhaust those options. So, um, good stuff. I think we've covered it. I think we've covered a lot. Keegan, Sophia, thank you for joining thank us. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for cool. having us. Where can people find out more about you, Sophia? Um, Instagram. Uh, my handle is at Sophie Davila. So it's S-O-F-I-T-H-E-V-I-L-L-A. Sweet. And you can also find Wally there, mm-hmm. the dog. <laughs> Does Wally have his own Instagram? No, we decided that was the one thing we were not going to do. <laughs> he doesn't need his own Instagram. That's a little silly, I think. <laughs> okay, well, I guess my and then, dog, both of my dog's <laughs> Instagram accounts. <laughs> and then that's just one more Instagram account I have to, we have to deal with. That's oh, no, that's true. Fair. Yeah, no, that's true. So uh, yeah, and mine is just Kegels99 for Twitter, awesome. Instagram, and Facebook is just Keegan Swenson. Awesome. So uh, try and update those. Swenson with an O. S-W-E-N-S-O-N. O-N. There yes. we are. Um, awesome. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. Uh, for everybody listening to this, you can listen to this episode, share it, find us on the social things, wherever else you want. You can do it all at mtbpodcast.com. The stickers are on their way, as well as other items, uh, the top caps and everything else, like we mentioned. It's just still in progress. So, uh, But thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Hopefully, we gave you everything you needed to know about tires, but please let us know if we didn't answer that, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a nice day. See you. Bye. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.